Welcome to the ESG Agenda. ESG strategies are fast becoming a norm within corporations, although how those strategies are implemented and managed vary. This has led to increasing shareholder activism on company ESG initiatives and calls for executive compensation to be tied to sustainability targets. More and more, investors are holding boards of directors accountable for ESG commitments and implementation. In this episode, we speak with Emily Chu, Global Head of Sustainability for Morgan Stanley Investment Management. Emily's career has taken her from Australia to Hong Kong, Beijing, Boston, and New York. She's a member of the CFA Institute's ESG Technical Committee, was recently the chair of the Steering Committee for the Climate Action 100 Plus Global Investor Engagement Initiative, and is a member of the Principles for Responsible Investments Listed Equities Integration Subcommittee. She gives us practical recommendations for corporate directors to understand how ESG issues can pose risks to business and how boards can develop their corporate strategy in the era of sustainability disruption. Emily highlights the urgency for board directors to understand that their fiduciary duty is broader and longer term than it's been thought of in the past. In her words, don't delay. Another day delayed is another day falling behind. As a board member or as a senior executive committee member of a company, it's your job to navigate uncertainty. And sustainability presents a number of risks, but also a number of opportunities in the light of which investors and other stakeholders are seeking clarity around your corporate strategy. Emily, welcome to the podcast. Thanks, Amelia. It's a pleasure to be here with you today. We are clearly in a moment of disruption, which for most companies feels uneven, confusing, and frustrating. What's your advice to companies about how to manage these new EXG expectations? I think that this is what disruption feels like. It does feel confusing. It does feel uh, like there's a lot of swirling. And I think probably what's most frustrating for a lot of boards and and senior executive management teams at companies is just the plethora of terminologies that's used in this space. And I think that people should worry less about trying to find a be all and end all definition uh, for a number of these terminologies like ESG, sustainability, CSR, TCFD and, and beyond. There's a lot of acronyms, unfortunately, and really just look at the substance of business strategy. So there are a number of of frameworks that have been developed over the last few years, which are very useful tools for boards and senior management teams to use as guides for developing corporate strategy in an era of sustainability disruption. And there isn't going to be a checklist. There isn't going to be a binary right answer. Uh, So stop looking for one. (laughs) There isn't going to be a a be all and end all if you like. And that is your your job as as a board member or as a senior executive committee member of, of a company. It's your job to navigate uncertainty. And sustainability presents a number of risks, but also a number of opportunities in the light of which investors and other stakeholders are seeking clarity around your corporate strategy. So I would just say that to begin with, Uh, And if it's useful, Amelia, I'm happy to go into more specifics around various frameworks or uh, reports and documents that I've seen that I think are useful that boards can use. Absolutely. I think people would love to hear from an investor, what are the most meaningful uh, ways for them to kind of direct their attention and their resources? Sure. So I, I think, again, so I mentioned there are frameworks. So none of this, none of these are requirements um, or required by regulation in most jurisdictions at this time. But 
I will just lay out a few different um, frameworks that I think are helpful for thinking, for navigating this question of corporate strategy in an era of sustainability disruption. So the first framework is the TCFD, the Task Force on Climate Related Financial Disclosures. So this was a, a, an organization set up under the auspices of the Financial Stability Board, uh, led by Michael Bloomberg, Mark Carney and others, um, set up a 30 plus person committee with global representation to define when we are talking about climate change and climate disclosures, what is it that is going to be most useful from a corporate strategy and financial materiality perspective. And I raise this because yes, it was very much focused on the systemic issue of climate change, but I think the framework that the TCFD recommendations uh, finalized and launched in mid 2017 are actually very useful for thinking about sustainability more broadly. So it categorized climate change uh, and the impact on companies in three broad categories. The first is transition risk. So the idea is that as we transition to a lower carbon economy, uh, to a greener economy, there is transition risk, both in terms of the regulations that come into play that may disrupt business as usual, or which may introduce extra costs that companies perhaps haven't planned for. But there's also technology disruption, and there's the potential uh, for business models to be stranded or disrupted. And both of these concepts are contained within, within this idea of transition risk. There's also physical risk. So climate change being very much about uh, rapid and, and, and concerning changes we're seeing in our physical environment. Um, there is both acute and chronic physical risk from climate change. Um, and so this is the idea that, that we need to reconnect our business strategy, uh, the way we think about quarterly earnings and quarterly reporting, and the way we think about investors in terms of quarterly and annual returns, we need to reconnect that to the physical reality that we exist in. We need to understand that every decision we make, whether as a, 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 a seller or a consumer, as an employer or as an employee, uh, or as an investor or as a company leaves a trace in our physical environment and in our communities. That's the underlying concept of physical risk. So planning for various uh, scenarios around climate change was that concept in the TCFD. And then the other uh, concept that the TCFD introduced is this concept of opportunity. So it's not only a risk story, there's also potential new markets, new consumers, new business models that will be profitable. And these new uh, business models and new products and markets could emerge very rapidly. So how are you as a business making your company resilient against risks, scenario planning, transition planning, but also resilient in an era uh, where there may be new opportunities? So the, the opportunity conversation, you can think about it as the flip side to the technological transition risk disruption. So that I think is a very useful framework generally for thinking about sustainability. And you can see how these concepts are, while they came from the climate change discussion, they're not only germane to climate change. You can think about this in terms of uh, natural resources, biodiversity risk, uh, supply chain disruption, uh, demographic shifts in the labor force, rapid shifts in consumer preferences around lifestyles. You know, these things are, these are systemic issues, systemic changes and fundamental shifts in the way the economy operates. And TCFD has obviously been given a lot more urgency um, around the world with more and more companies 
um, I'm sorry, more and more organizations, countries included, aligning to TCFD, the UK uh, has made it mandatory. And I yeah. think it now represents something like 190 trillion uh, in assets, right, under management. Yeah, incredible adoption in, in the last few years among the investment community and adoption in a couple of ways, not only in terms of investment organizations becoming signatories to the TCFD and releasing their own reports, but also a lot of active engagement with their companies that they hold shares in or that they hold bonds in, advocating for more TCFD disclosure. However, we still have a very long way to go. As, as I understand it, we still only, still only have about 1500 companies globally that have released TCFD aligned reports or disclosures. So that's really a drop in the ocean um, for relative to what we need in terms of to get this information more available. But it, I think from the board and, and management team perspective, it's not just about the disclosures and the information. It's about the strategic thinking that underpins the information. So the goal is not disclosure. The goal is the strategic planning and the risk management that you can then package and express in some form of report. And do you feel that the that most boards understand this? I mean, as we speak, the uh, Climate Governance Initiative, which is supported by the World Economic Forum this week, is holding their first inaugural climate summit to help board members and board directors understand climate risks and their responsibility to understand climate governance. Do you feel that this is something that is uh, becoming increasingly I guess, acknowledged by board members as something that's part of their responsibilities? So Amelia, I think that yes, we are seeing more progress um, in board level discussions, more acknowledgement of the importance of this. Uh, we're having higher quality conversations with senior management um, professionals uh, about the management of ENS environmental and social issues. Uh, however, I think the speed with which this is developing at the board level conversation is not happening uh, as fast as investors would like to see it. And it's not happening with the speed that the science, that the changes happening in our physical environment demand and the physical limits that we're up against here in terms of how the economy operates. And so there's certainly a lot of room for improvement. Uh, and I think in that regard, I'd like to point to another helpful document that I think board members and senior um, executive committee members can also look at and refer to that I think was quite useful. Uh, the document is called the Director's ENS Guidebook. So ENS stands for Environmental and Social. Uh, the Director's ENS Guidebook was put out in mid 2018, so a few years ago now, by the Canadian Coalition for Good Governance. And the reason why I pointed out is because this organization's had a long, uh, long-standing focus on good governance practices and a lot of success in engaging the Canadian uh, large listed uh, sector around improvements to corporate governance in that market. And I think what they've done is really place the ENS discussion within a governance framework that I think board members can really relate to. Uh, the, the existing kind of community of board directors that we have are, I think, very naturally governance oriented and understand, uh, you know, well, when governance is managed well, I think they relate to this language and understand it. So the, the guidebook set out eight areas uh, or eight key governance categories for thinking about ESG. And I think that if you, you know, can just set up a spreadsheet or a document that has these eight categories and what are your answers as board members for each of these categories, just workshopping that among your board and, and getting, getting the uh, vision around, around these eight areas clear, I think would be a huge leap forward for many boards. So the eight areas are corporate culture. 
you know, what is the cultural factors that affect your tone from the top around ESG? So what is your message? Uh, another initiative would call this purpose. Okay. Corporate purpose. Yeah. What is your statement of corporate purpose in relation to environmental and social factors? Second category is risk management. So where in the organization are ENS factors identified at risk as risks, how are they tracked, who's responsible for managing those and mitigating that risk? Do you have an enterprise risk management system, an ERM? And how does ENS uh, interact with that ERM? The third category is corporate strategy. So this is getting to that broader uh, element that I was referring to earlier around the TCFD. How is your corporate strategy looking both at risk factors as well as opportunities and positioning and how is that affecting your capital expenditures, your investment, your R&D today, in order to have a robust uh, business in five to 10 years from now in relation to these macroeconomic, environmental and social trends that we're seeing. The fourth factor gets into, and, and from here starts to get into some of the traditional governance, uh, less of the strategic and more into the traditional governance factors. So board composition. Do your board members have the right mix of knowledge, experience, character, skills to manage these factors, whatever they are, as relevant for your business? Uh, it might not be someone with an ESG hat that sits on your board, but it could be someone with a mix, people with a mix of skills from different backgrounds, um, as determined by what the most material factors are for your business. Uh, board structure. So what are the committees that sit under the board that report to the board on ENS factors? Is it distributed across a number of existing committees or do you need a, a new committee established? There isn't one right answer. Again, that you, it depends on your context, depends on the structure of your business. Board practices. So is there training for board members? Is it a regular item on your board agenda? Is it seen as part of the regular business of the board? Seventh uh, category is performance and evaluation. So really getting into the tightening the screws here around senior members of senior management. How are they incentivized to deliver on certain ESG metrics? Have you considered the unforeseen trade-offs that that may, that, that may occur or unforeseen consequences of incentivizing people that way? Has that been thought through carefully? And then the last category is your disclosure to your shareholders and investors at large. So I think these eight categories is a really helpful framework for thinking about the ESG conversation at board level and trying to package together the strategic elements as well as the more tactical governance implementation elements. How do you want to see that communicated to investors? You know, the, the normal way is through the annual report. You usually have a chairman's statement, but the drumbeat of communication obviously typically comes at quarterly results and the results from the CEO. How, as an investor, are you confident that these eight things are being met? Well, I think there's, there's a variety of channels for communicating. So at, at minimum, I think there should be some annual communication, written communication around this that could take the form of a separate sustainability report or some companies still call it a corporate responsibility report. Um, it could be integrated into your financial reporting different uh, jurisdictions handle it differently. So I don't think that, uh, that we as investors need to demand it in a certain format because there are many different interests that companies are, are dealing with depending on the jurisdiction that they're in. Um, so I think at minimum, you're looking at some form of annual reporting. Uh, we've certainly seen a huge uptick in the discussion of sustainability topics in quarterly earnings calls. So we would also expect to see more of that as it's relevant 
we're seeing more sell side analysts ask these questions so give a platform for companies to communicate around that. Uh, so I, we would expect to see that um, as the company has fully uh, absorbed and internalized environmental, social and governance strategic items into the execution of corporate strategy that would just naturally come out in the quarterly reporting and in the analyst calls. Um, we've also seen companies, and I think this is very interesting, set up dedicated analyst calls just to discuss sustainability. And I think that that's a very worthwhile initiative as well, partly because the quarterly earnings call can get very tied into the quarterly earnings statement and the, and the quarterly financial statements. And a lot of these sustainability topics are not necessarily quarter to quarter issues. And the discussion that you might want to have might be a much higher level, longer term discussion. And there may not be space on a quarterly earnings call to communicate everything you'd like to com communicate around it. So I think that, you know, coinciding with the release of an, some form of written annual reporting, it's a very wise idea to also establish a, an annual habit of an annual sustainability analysts call and on that call you'll get a mix of worldside analysts as well as dedicated sustainability analysts we are definitely seeing uh, an uptick in, in in companies planning ESG investor days or ESG days specifically to get a little bit more granular about their activities to the markets yeah I think that they're very worthwhile initiatives I think it signals that you're taking these topics seriously I, I think it also gives you the space to have that longer-term strategic discussion but I also think that uh, having participated in some of these days, it, nothing replaces a one-on-one -on -one conversation with an investor, uh, particularly your, you know, your top 20, 30, 50 investors. You as a company should be initiating proactively conversations with your top shareholders and, and maybe the top investors in your bonds as well around these topics. Um, and you're going to get fuller and frank feedback in those conversations that you may not be getting in these more public forums. And so, do you want to see board members engaging in those? I and mean, obviously that's typically the CEO and the CFO's role, maybe yes, yes. the officer. Um, not as often as we'd like. <laughs> so again, I think that, I think this again reflects the capacity building that's needed among the, the board director community around having them comfortable to, to have these discussions the only way to get comfortable is to have the training, uh, is to have the open dialogue with the um, C-suite, and then it's to have your messaging down around these eight topics that I've just uh, put out there as a framework that can be used. Not as often as we would like, um, but I do think that uh, whether we have access to board members to discuss governance topics and ENS strategy itself is a signal to us as an investor. Now, I hear from board members sometimes that um, obviously boards aren't monolithic, right? And so you've got lots of diverging experiences and viewpoints on the board. And there are some board members who might um, be very uh, up to speed on climate and ESG issues and other board members who might feel that this is not part of their fiduciary duty and maybe a sideline uh, to, to what they really should be focusing on. How does that translate into their interactions with you, the investor? Well, uh, that's, that's an interesting, I, I, think, I think that dynamic you've just described suggests to me that that is a board that hasn't fully grappled with the medium and long-term strategic issues that climate change is and will raise. So this is not a, climate change is an existential issue for our global economy and beyond that for humanity. 
And if you as a board member understand that your role is to be a steward of assets on behalf of the investors who've invested in that in your company, you cannot help but need to grapple with these strategic issues. I mean, the issues that we're talking about here, sure, they're not one to, to three to five year issues in a lot of case, cases. They're, they are 2030, 2045, 2050 timeline issues. But ultimately, I think board members need to understand that investors are looking for that because we, as say asset managers, we are serving ultimate beneficiaries who, who are looking at those types of timelines. We're serving sovereign wealth funds and pension funds that own the entire market. So they are fully exposed to the risks uh, of the entire market. They can't diversify the risks away when they're, they, they consider themselves to be universal owners. So asset owners, pension funds, sovereign wealth funds that are so large, they have to own everything. They can't make bets, you know, very narrow industry or country bets in the way they allocate assets. Um, so they, that's what's relevant to their time horizons. And then ultimately, the beneficiaries of both those, those stakeholders, as well as some of, some of our stakeholders, some of our clients as a, a provider of investment fund solutions are retail investors. And they're looking at protecting their retirement uh, over this time frame. So all of this center of gravity is shifting to try to manage some of the adverse consequences of short-termism short-term thinking in the corporate sector having, I think, um, resulted in a number of negative externalities or the externalization of negative impact. I think that era is coming to an end. I think that uh, the public is, is no longer tolerating that kind of behavior from companies. They're no longer tolerating that behavior from investors to some degree. Um, and I think that, uh, what we're talking about here is a, a shift in board members understanding that their fiduciary duty is uh, broader and longer term than perhaps it has been conceived in the last couple of decades. So if I could just wrap up here then and ask your advice, you know, if you're speaking to a board right now, and I'm sure you do often, what would be your advice to board members today? I think you need to convene a, a working group or a project group among senior management involving some board members to really uh, do a proper examination across the organization around who owns this right now, what have we done, what investments have we made, like where do we stand today? So baseline analysis in order to inform the discussion about where we want to be. You need to conduct a peer analysis. What are the peers doing? Uh, hire a consultant to do that, to get it done quickly rather than kind of, you know, letting it drag on for 12 or more months and engage your top 10 shareholders and ask them, look at their websites. What are their sustainable investing policies saying or ESG investing policies? Um, who in the organization, who among your top 10 shareholders represents the voice from their perspective on these matters? So do the homework and, and start reading and, and don't delay because another day delayed is another day of falling behind uh, in these, on this topic. Perfect. Emily, thank you so much for joining us. It's been a pleasure talking to you, Amelia. That was Emily Chu of Morgan Stanley Investment Management, giving us an investor's view on the responsibility of boards for ESG issues. I'm Amelia Pan. Thank you for listening to the ESG Agenda.